2: KFI AM 640, you're listening to Dean Sharp the House Whisperer on demand on the iHeartRadio app. You guys know what we mean when we say live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app? It means that on the free iHeartRadio app, KFI, uh, along with lots of other iHeart stations, uh, is always streaming live in digital high def. That's right, you can hear us like you hear, you know, the very, better than FM. It's better than FM. If you have never heard the melodious full tone of my baritone voice, then you should listen to the show on the free iHeartRadio app uh, because we're streaming live right now. Also, it means you can listen interruption and, uh, you know, signal free anywhere that you have a signal on your cell phone. And uh, so there you go. And in addition to that, If you miss something on the show, of course, the iHeartRadio app has uh, all of our podcasts. Every episode I have ever done, yes, every one, six and three quarter years worth now of episodes, hundreds of episodes, all listed by topic, every mistake and buffoonery that I have ever done on the radio, all there permanently, (laughs) Yeah. regretfully, in perpetuity. Uh, but also, lots and lots and lots of great advice for you on your home. All there. You can listen to it anytime, day or night, anywhere on planet Earth at your leisure. So there you go. That is life on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, welcome to home, where every week we help you better understand that place where you live. I'm Dean Sharp, the House Whisperer, here with you live, like I am every weekend, Saturday morning, 6 to 8 Pacific Time, Sunday mornings, 9 to noon Pacific time, we are having an all calls weekend, which is something I do every, you know, know, a few weeks, every couple of months or so. We clear the decks and we allow you to tell us what it is that we're talking about uh, today. So let's get back to the phone, shall we? I want to talk to Jane. Hey, Jane, welcome home.
3: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have a quick question. We're looking to remodel our house and open up some of the walls. And we're not sure if we should get a designer first to work out the layout and the design or if we should speak with a structural engineer to actually let us know which walls we can open up.
2: Ah, excellent question. A procedural question on how you get started with this kind of thing. Uh, Well, the answer is a bit nuanced, Jane. Uh, It's a little bit nuanced. It's not an absolute. uh, It's sort of a weaving, as it were, if you're going to do it wisely. So number one, the, the first call that you always make, that everyone should always make when they're thinking about remodeling or doing something different with their house is you call a designer. All right. You start with the creativity. You start with the art. You start with somebody who knows what they're doing in order to help you come up with the absolute best possible design that works for you, that customizes your home, that expresses you. uh, Because as I say here on the program all the time, as you know, design matters most. We start with design. However, okay, yeah. Sometimes design choices end up leading towards, wow, we're going to move that wall or we're going to eliminate that wall or we want to, you know, change those windows or we want to put in a much bigger door, things that infringe and touch now upon structural issues. So this is why I say it's nuanced. What you want is you want to call the designer first, and you want to start having that conversation. What you don't want is to pay a designer for a full-on, full-blown, finished design when you don't know what the structural ramifications are, okay? So... You call a designer and you begin to work with them in what we call rough design mode or rough sketch mode in which we haven't, you know, uh, we haven't sold the farm yet uh, for this design. But we get to the point where now we sense like, wow, we're really liking where this is going. And uh, the big question now looms, what about that wall? And that is when you call in a structural engineer for a, a consultation. And uh, it's a couple $300. Most structural engineers will show up and uh, and help you figure out what's going on. Sometimes it's pretty simple uh, to do. Uh, expect that they will, in order to make the most of a consult like that, that you're going to want to uh, invest a little of uh, demo. And by demo, I just mean a forensic opening up. Like, you know, if it's a wall in question, you don't know if it's a bearing wall or if you don't know if it's a shear wall that's critical for the seismic strength of the house then you want to pull some drywall off. And Drywall is inexpensive to replace, okay? It's just cost of getting ready for your remodel. A little bit of forensic analysis. So in other words, if we're talking about, uh, you know, if we were talking about the house in terms of, let's say, uh, the metaphor of a patient going in for some surgical procedure and there are some things that we don't quite know about, then we would call this exploratory surgery in which we open things up just a little bit to take a look around and to verify what it is that we're dealing with there. So open up a little section of drywall on a wall, uh, open up some drywall on the ceiling right next to the top of that wall. If we want to figure out what direction the ceiling joists are going, what's bearing on that wall or not, that kind of stuff and then have the structural engineer come out and uh, give you an evaluation of like okay yeah 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 i see this uh they might just say listen hey thanks for paying for the console i think you're good to go that's not a bearing wall that thing can be removed and you don't have to worry about it uh and or they may say yeah no uh, some engineering is going to be required here and it's a major deal or some engineering is required and it's not that big of a deal so that's the information you need you need at that juncture and then you return to the design process with that information uh, under your arm in order to finish out the design you may decide to abandon that design because you don't want to touch that wall or it may be full steam ahead so it's designer engineer back to the designer and then as you commit to a remodel especially assuming that you're going to be pulling permits and doing it the right way then Once the designer is then committing to plans, the engineer is going to get involved again and put in their structural notes and pages in the plans that you'll submit to the city. And that's kind of the the hopscotch or leapfrogging that happens. So don't pay a designer everything up front to do a complete design when you don't know the ramifications structurally on the house. And just to let you know, just as a little topper, I'll tell you how Tina and I Uh, actually do. Even when we have been hired to do a full design on a home, we will still tell our clients, listen, we are going to take you to rough design in which you're thrilled with the way everything's looking. And then we're going to get an engineer involved to spec out rough uh, engineering specifications, not even finished yet, but rough specifications, because only then do you have with our drawing down on the page and the engineering specifications only then do you have the information you need to turn around and hand it to uh, two or three contractors to give you what's called a ROM, a rough order of magnitude or really rough estimate. Uh, and So you're not holding them to it, but these are contractors that you're vetting and you're thinking about using and they give you a rough estimate so you get an idea like, ah, And this is what our project probably is going to cost in the ballpark. At that point, you may find out, "Mm, yeah, all right, that's in our budget. Or no, that's too much. And then you go back to the design and tweak it again. So there's this interplay and this collaboration, and that's generally how it works. Does that help?
3: Yes, thank you so much.
2: All right, Jane. Good luck on that project. Looking forward to hearing uh, how it turned out. All right. When we return, more of your calls. Your home. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp. On demand from KFI AM 640. It is an all-calls Sunday morning. Nothing but your calls today. You get to pick what it is that we're talking about regarding your home. You should give me a call. The number to reach me, 833-2-ASK-DEAN. 833 833- 2 the numeral two, asking anything you want to talk about regarding your home. That's our rule with calls all the time. Uh, design, construction, DIY, what have you, landscape, interior decor, you know, rough construction, whatever, whatever. We're here to handle the whole thing from property line to property line. All right, we're going back to the phones. Uh, I want to talk to Jason. Hey, Jason, welcome home. Hey,
0: thank you. Um, Related call a little bit to your prior caller. Um, I'm an original homeowner, uh, and as such, I have all the original photos of the framing, plumbing, electric. The house is about 15 years old, 3,000 square feet, two-story. I'm in Orange County. We want to do a modest extension or expansion of our existing dining room so that we would push out an exterior wall to basically capture an existing outdoor alcove-type area that also has um, uh, there's an exterior um, uh, entrance to the kitchen that goes into that same area. So if you can imagine a first story, little maybe 100-square-foot alcove, there's an exterior door from the dining room to that alcove. There's an exterior uh, door from the kitchen to that alcove. And I'm like, well, hey, if we just pushed out that wall maybe eight feet, we could have a way to get into the kitchen from the dining room and we'd gather up another 100 square feet. I reach out to various contractors and they're like, hey, do you have the drawings? I'm like, oh, what do you mean? Well, if, when you go to get permits, they're going to want a drawing of the entire house, not just that little section. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I, I'm the original owner, but I don't have any drawings. Well, you know, you either have to get a firm to draw up the entire elevation of the house as it's existing and the plan for that wall or find another way to get them. And i I'm, I'm sort of perplexed on, like, a does the whole house really have to get drawn up just to move one wall, and and secondly, um, do I as like an original homeowner do I have any sort of entitlement to maybe those drawings? Because I'm learning to hire an engineering firm to come in and draw the whole house is it's quite expensive <laughs> for a small <laughs> right. project like this.
2: Right. Okay. All right. So let me help you uh, kind of break this down. Uh, first of all. Uh, your contractors are right-ish, but they're probably correct. It changes municipality to municipality, all right? The the requirements change. But generally speaking, if you are doing a structural addition onto a house, just for context sake, right, the city is going to be bare minimum. Uh, they're going to be looking for uh, an exterior elevation of that, three sides of that uh, push out and and three sides meaning three cardinal directions, right? So if you're pushing out on the south side of the house, they're gonna want the south elevation looking straight on. They're gonna want the uh, the uh, east and west elevations looking at the sides of that alcove as a push out. They won't care about the other side of the house, okay? They basically want context, and they want context in relation to where this alcove is in relation to the first floor. Now, you're, if you're not affecting anything on the second floor, they, your city may not need uh, second floor drawings. Okay, uh, They may not care about that, or they may feel like, okay, what is this affecting upstairs, if anything? So... That's the first thing you need to know. And the answer to those questions reside at your local building department, not with contractors, but actually just making a trip down and saying, hey, this is what we're planning on doing with our home. Secondarily, your city may, may, uh, it's getting rarer these days, but they may actually have your original house plans on file, especially if it's only been 15 years since the house was built. So uh, while you're there, you should also ask the city at the planning department, do you have the original uh, blueprints for uh, my home or at least my tract? Maybe they've got uh, blueprints for your floor plan that are flipped that have been submitted by the builder or the developer back in the day. Those will work. Uh, That gives you a massive head start. Now, sometimes the city will say, uh, well, yes, we do have that. We can't release it to you, though, without notifying the builder, uh, the original uh, developer, uh, or the architects first. That's just a technicality. And uh, most of the time what happens is they'll tell you, listen, we're going to do the official notification, and we will let you know in seven days. If we haven't heard back from them, we're going to release the plans to you, and uh, you can have them on You know, usually a a digital file uh, that you can then turn into a PDF and you're off to the races as far as plans are concerned uh, for your home. At least somebody doesn't have to pay. Somebody's still going to have to draw the plans, right? You can't just work off of those original plans, but you can use those original plans uh, instead of somebody having to remeasure the whole house and go to that expense. So it's going to reduce the cost. Finally, uh the thing that I want to tell you is that uh never ever hire an engineering firm to draw your house. The engineers come in after the fact and uh, just pay them to deal with the specific engineering issues that this thing involves. As far as the rest of the plan, whatever the city tells you the rest of the plan has to be, you can hire uh, a draft, I mean Technically, Jason, you can do this yourself. You are a homeowner and you could actually draw the house yourself. But that is a headache for a lot of people. Uh, You can hire a drafts person. There are drafts uh, people out there for hire who will give you a really good price to draw up uh the uh the the layout of your home and draw the elevations for it. believe me there are a lot of drafts people out of work and looking for work it's a good time these days to uh hire a drafts person it does not require a licensed architect or a licensed engineer to draw your home i am not a licensed architect, right? And yet I design and build custom homes and have for the nearly 40 years now because in the state of California, uh, you uh, do not it, the city, the state does not require a licensed architect to be involved in most cases uh, up to three stories in a residential home. okay? So when it comes to residences, uh, anybody who knows what they're doing, can draw and submit those drawings, generally speaking, as a general rule, in most municipalities. So it all starts with you going to the city, getting the info you need from them, finding out if your plans are on file. If they're not, yeah, uh, you're gonna have to break down to follow whatever they are looking for. And you just give them the minimum of what it is that they're looking for. They're not gonna be super impressed if you give them extra, extra, extra. They just want what they want. And uh, and you start it there, but don't hire an engineering firm to do it because yeah, those guys are those guys are engineers and uh, they make engineering money. Hire a, and don't hire an architect. Hire a drafts person uh, who work for engineers and architects in order to actually put the drawings together. By the way, you hire an engineering firm to draw your house. They're going to hand it to their drafts person to actually do the measurement and the drawing. The engineers aren't going to do the drawings themselves. Uh, until engineering time comes around, but you're going to get charged engineering prices for the whole thing. So there you go. You uh, sub it out uh, as you need to as you go along. Does that help? Thank you. <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> All I
0: right, buddy. Sticker shock.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you can get that done for uh, for way less, okay, and get it done well. All right. Uh, so, but start with the city. That's the key. Jason, good luck, my friend, on uh, that uh, remodel. Hope everything turns out uh, really, really well. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp on demand from KFI AM 640. Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You're home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. We are doing an all call Sunday for you on this cool, misty, uh, Southern California, September Sunday morning. It like I was just gonna just just break into song there, but I'm not. I promise you, you can keep listening. Uh, it is uh, what is it? It's, it's mid-September. Is this today the 17th? It is the 17th, isn't it? Right? Yeah mid-September, and we got a rainy, drizzly day in much of Southern California. It is lovely, by the way. I just, you know, I'm a silver lining guy. I'm I'm kind of digging it. I'm already ready for fall. It's not fall yet. Last week of summer, technically. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, summer's over. Let's just, can we just say it? Summer's over? Yeah, it is. Uh, next, this, this coming Saturday, uh, when we go on the air, you and I will be celebrating the very first day of fall. That's Uh, then there won't be any more debate left. All right. It's an all calls Sunday. The number to reach me, 8332-ASK-DEAN. 833, the numeral 2-ASK-DEAN. Anything you want to talk about regarding your home? I want to go back to the phones. Uh, Let's see. (laughs) Let's talk to Cheryl. Hey, Cheryl, welcome home.
3: Yeah. Hi. I um, have two questions regarding my roof. The asphalt shingles were removed last week, and I have a bare wood roof exposed to this drizzle and rain. Um, The packaged bundles of asphalt shingles that are going to go on were delivered on Friday, but they're only covering the ridge. We're waiting for city inspection. My My first question is, how concerned am I right now that it's just getting rained on or drizzled on? I'm in Mission Viejo in Orange County. And then my mm-hmm. other question is about low-profile, Ruth. Do you want that now or do you want me to ask after?
2: Uh, well, no, let's tackle this first one. Um, you know, I, you know, Jane and I started out the show today talking about the fact that it's drizzly everywhere and there was no rain in the forecast. Uh, so I, I don't want to be the one to tell you, yeah, you know, it's just all going to blow over and there won't be any more rain uh you have a bare wood sheathed roof out there there's no there's no building paper on the roof right it's just been stripped down completely there's no there's no paper nothing okay yeah uh (laughs) uh, you need to call your roofer and say hey tarp me just get over here and get me a tarp i i get it i get it i know there's no rain in the forecast but look it's misty right now and i don't want any damage in my house okay
3: you know, I've, I've made that call and they're trying to get somebody to come cover it up.
2: There you go. So, there you go. Okay. Now, if, if, if there was just, yeah, if there was just roofing paper, you know, I'm not, I'm not massively concerned, uh, you know, it, it because it doesn't appear like there's anything uh, significant forming up here, but then again, you know, uh, it's raining in September in Southern California. So I don't, you know, I, I would not take the risk. The point is if there's even the slightest chance of moisture in the air, uh, the professional response to that is cover that plywood because a plywood roof is in no way, shape, or form uh waterproof. Nor do you want the plywood getting soaked, uh, even with heavy uh, you know, mist and moisture in the air. So yeah, cover the roof. Uh now, what was your question about a low profile?
3: Well, back to that, any recommendation on my response to him about the exposure and my the loss of integrity of the wood
2: yeah you don't have you know it, it's it's not going to pour uh, that we know for certain so you know i you don't have to have any you know threatening okay. conversations to him about loss of it's not going to mess it up you know believe here i'll put it this way when we frame a house and all of a sudden it starts raining and just the framing all the wood framing We can walk away for three or four days of a heavy rainstorm uh, without worrying about the plywood on the roof going all crazy funky on us. But even then, if if it's threatening serious rain, I'll, you know, I'll cover it up. So the point is uh, your response to him is uh, get out here and cover my roof and everybody's happy. Uh, The end. So. All right. So what's your uh, low profile question real quick?
3: Uh, I'm, they're going. I, um, the house is a twelve hundred square foot tract house in Mission Viejo. It's a ranch, and they're putting low profile vents, and they're putting eight of those, and then two solar vents. Is that better than the old Worley Bird ones that I had? Because I'm in the future planning on do so, doing solar.
2: Okay, uh, so uh, so low profile vent. Like, are they using like an O'Hagan vent or something like that?
3: I think that's what it is. Yes
2: okay yeah uh o'hagan vents uh low profile if if it's an o'hagan vent then uh you know uh two thumbs up Uh, everybody in the industry respects uh o'hagan vents they are a very very low profile vent and uh my assumption is you just want to talk to your roofer about this my assumption is that they are putting in the proper number of vents there is a A formula for how many roof vents you need, or not actually how many roof vents, but technically how many square inches of ventilation your attic requires. There is a formula for it. And the formula is, if I can express this very quickly for everybody who's listening, uh, the formula is a ratio of 1 to 150. Okay. Every 150 square feet of flat attic space that you have, Okay. Requires one uh, square foot of uh, roof venting. Now, uh, somebody's listening right now saying, no, I thought it was one to 300. Uh Aha. So uh, uh, you can actually reduce that down to one to 300 ratio if half 50% of your roof vents are up at the ridge and the other half are down low. In other words, if you are spreading them apart so that you get really good low convection rising up to the top and exiting out the very, very top of the roof, then the formula is one to, or the ratio is one to 300. One square foot of roof venting, uh, attic venting for every 300 square feet of uh, flat attic space. So anyway. The point is this: Thank you. Uh, you go that you go to your roofer and you say, uh, with the O'Hagan vents, a standard O'Hagan vent has about set, I want to say seventy or seventy-two square inches of space in it. Uh, I'm guessing at that. I just somewhere in the back of my head, there's something telling me that's how much it is, but basically, you want enough vents to meet your requirements so that the attic vents properly. and an O'Hagan vent is a great vent a very low profile. we have them on our roof specifically because uh we've got them they're actually sitting underneath our solar panels. They are a vent that will fit underneath your solar panels and that's why we have them on our little house, which is roughly the same size as your house, it sounds like so, Uh, Yeah, um, I'm all for O'Hagan vents, as long as there are enough of them, and as long as you've got a good quantity of uh, high vents versus low vents on the roof, uh, you should be good to go.
3: Thank you. We're putting the um, Owens Corning cool roof on, by the way, and thank you for your answers.
2: Oh, you are very, very welcome. And that's a great roof, uh, by the way. Uh, so, uh, Cheryl, good luck with all of that. Just have them get you tarped so you don't get drippy over the week, the rest of the weekend here before they get back to uh, actually papering. And by the way, once you're papered, even if they haven't laid the shingles yet, now you're dried in. That's what we call drying in a roof, right? Once you're papered or you get that the, the underlayment membrane down uh, and flashed in, now you're safe. Even though not a single shingle has been placed that's how important the underlayment is in the uh, whole process so and for those of you who are listening when she just said an owens corning cool roof that does not mean her roof is white no it simply means that there are great roofing materials these days that have reflective uh, particulates in them that specify that actually allow them to be specified as cool roofs they reflect more infrared off of them, then they absorb them, and they're brilliant. And a cool roof could be a shingle that is pitch black, charcoal black, uh, but it has enough reflectivity uh, in, in order for it to be qualified as a cool roof. So think about that uh, when you are uh, choosing your roofing materials. All right, I'm handing out pearls today. Nobody has stumped me yet. We'll see what happens right after the news. <laughs> you are home with Dean Sharp, the House Whisper. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp on demand from KFI AM 640. Welcome home. So glad you've joined us on the program today. It is a privilege and an honor to spend time with you on your Sunday morning. We are doing an all calls weekend. It's an all calls Sunday today. We've cleared the decks and uh, just allowing you to tell me what the show is about today. The number to reach me. 8332 ask dean 833 the numeral 2 ask dean anything you want to talk about regarding your home design issue construction issue diy stuff whatever anything you want to discuss let's put our heads together see if we can figure out what's going on with your place all right it's time to get back to uh, the phones they haven't stumped me yet let's see what happens next uh, Let's see. Uh, let's talk to Matthew. Hey, Matthew, welcome home.
1: Hi, Dean. Thanks for taking my call. I have a question about my uh, integrated recessed can lights. They're, okay. they're LEDs. They're dimmable, and I have a dimmable compat- compatible switch from Lutron. But my issue is when I turn the lights off completely, they flicker a little bit. And I should let you know that the dimmer switch also is a motion sensor with an IR infrared so that when I go into the toilet room, the light comes on, it goes back off when I leave.
2: Okay. Hmm. Uh, So when the lights are off, they flicker a little bit. Right. And does this just keep on going on, or is it just a little bit after you have turned the lights off and left, or is it a continual thing?
1: It's a continual thing. It's a very mild flicker. It's um it's not the whole light itself. It's more like just the center of it. A mild mild flicker.
2: Okay. All right. Yeah. Mhm. 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 <laughs> Am I stalling? No, I'm not stalling. I'm actually just kind of putting together in my mind the two or three things that uh it could be. Uh there is some form, my friend, of electrical interference happening uh with this. And you know, it's one of the it's rare uh, but it, it's not completely unheard of. Uh, one of the byproducts of us switching to, you know, uh, all LED and uh, all of the smart sensitivities that we've got uh, with our new lighting systems. Uh, it is probably and is this something relatively new as far as your can lights? Is the, are, are these new can lights that you've put in and a new switch or has this been the case for a long time now?
1: No, these are six-year-old can lights that were put in by the home builder, original homeowner, and the switch I put in about a year ago, and it's been doing that. It's one of those digital um, dimmer switches. It, okay, It's so, on the same circuit as an exhaust fan, so I don't know if the exhaust fan's
2: causing that. Okay, so, so I'm trying to nail down when it started happening. It started happening when you put in the new dimmer switch, or it was always going on for six years?
1: It was going on with the new dimmer switch because I have other dimmer switches from another brand in the main part of the bathroom, and those don't flicker with the same exact brand of lights at all.
2: Okay, gotcha. All right, so, so here's the thing. Um, uh, you may have what we call induction sensitivity okay induction sensitivity is simply the fact that uh that without and even even without a hard voltage connection inside a switch box there may be electrical fields, and those electrical fields like uh, like induction, like the, the induction, you know, we use induction to charge our electric vehicles. It's how an induction cooktop transfers energy from the cooktop to the pan. There's no hard wire connection. There's no high voltage connection between the two. But sometimes we'll put a, a, a switch in that if there's enough of a, a magnetic induction field, let's say from other wires that are also in the switch box, or from simply a connection to uh, a three-way switch, another switch on the other end of the circuit, those kinds of things. There are a number of different ways that an induction field can occur. And we would never have noticed it before with old can lights and, uh, and incandescent lights. We would never have noticed it before because it takes a lot of uh, wattage actually. It takes a a good amount of current to actually light up an incandescent light, but it does not take a lot of current to light up, uh, you know, an LED light. And especially if this new dimmer switch has a a motion sensor on it, it may be in this situation that I got to break the news to you that that maybe the motion sensor is not the one to use here because the motion sensor itself may be... uh, being affected by the uh, the induction field. There may just be enough of a magnetic field happening in that switch box that it's making the motion sensor uh, just ever so slightly throw just a little bit of current into the line and up to uh, the lights, uh, because again, an LED, it's not going to come fully on, but uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't take much, doesn't take much to act to activate a light emitting diode. And that's what an LED light is. So I would try number one, uh, just switching out the uh, the, the switch uh, to begin with. Uh, try another. Okay. It may be something built into the switch that's just extra sensitive. Try another motion-sensitive dimmer switch there, uh, LED-rated, of course, and see if it keeps happening. If there are other wires uh, in the box, uh, try wrapping those wires with uh, some uh, heavy-duty electrical tape to kind of insulate them better and dampen down the electrical field and see if that helps and if all else fails just try a standard dimmer without the motion sensor there maybe mo- is this a three-way switch or are these lights turned on somewhere else in the room no
1: they're just single
2: okay all right well in this case then you, you may have to end up sacrificing the motion switch just because of the conditions on hand and just go with a dimmer. But I would I would uh, suspect that you have an extra sensitive switch there. And obviously it started with the switch. So uh, let's try another motion sensor switch. You can always just put it right back in the box and take it back to the store if you get the same result. So open the box carefully, take it out, give it a try. And, uh, and then put it back. And could it and, be the uh, digital
1: dimmer switch that's causing the problem? Just because I've noticed that in other people's houses when they switched out from a pneumatic dimmer to a digital dimmer where it's all electronics inside that they were having the same thing, a flicker.
2: Yeah, sometimes it happens. Sometimes it happens. Uh, it just, they're very, very sensitive. So that's why I'm saying let's, explore, let's, uh, let's fiddle around with the actual uh, dimmer switch, changing it out, uh, changing to a different one, and uh, and see what happens along the way. You'll be able to shut it down at some point. Hopefully you can still keep your motion sensor activity there, but you may have to sacrifice it in that situation. Matthew, thanks for the call. I'm up against the top of the hour. Got to go. Uh, When we return, more of your calls. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp, the House Whisperer, on KFI. This has been Home with Dean Sharp, the House Whisperer. Tune into the live broadcast on KFI AM 640 every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 Pacific Time and every Sunday morning from 9 to noon Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the iHeartRadio app.